If there is a God who created the universe and that God is an infinite being with intent and mind and that God wants to communicate with finite beings that he has created, then he must speak. He must reveal things about himself. That's a logically consistent inference. If that's the case, then why can't the manuscripts that make up the Bible be something that God moved people to write down and preserve? Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. Welcome to episode five of the Preaching Donkey podcast. It's so awesome to have you joining me today. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or one of those podcast players, it's awesome to have you. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for being here. Be sure to give a like, subscribe to this channel if you haven't yet. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts but you haven't yet left a review, please do because that helps so much for the circulation of this podcast for it to grow. Apple Podcast is still the one that kind of matters, for lack of a better way of saying it. So no matter where you're listening, I'm so glad. But particularly if you're listening on iTunes, definitely leave a review and a five-star rating. If you're not going to leave a five-star rating, then, you know, don't worry, don't worry about it. Don't bother with it. Um, we have an awesome show for you today. Um, I am interviewing a good friend of mine. His name is Johnny Armstrong, and he wrote a book called A Thought Out Faith, which will be linked below here on YouTube. You can find it on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, put in A Thought Out Faith, Christianity as the Best Explanation. It is one of the best single volume works on how to take someone through a process of going from skepticism uh, regarding Christianity, just complete skepticism about the whole thing, faith, Christianity, God, religion, all that, all the way to believing in Jesus and trusting him with their salvation. It, it's an amazing, amazing book. And if you have skeptics in your life who are kind of not open to matters of faith and not open to following Jesus, then you're going to find this book to be really, really helpful. So that interview is coming up. Definitely stick around for that. It's going to be awesome. I wanted to share with you something exciting. This is, um, I always like to kind of think, I like to say thank you to those of you in the Preaching Donkey community who, who let me know how I'm doing. Believe it or not, sometimes I, I just, I want to have feedback. <laughs> sometimes the feedback isn't good, which is fine. That, that's okay. But sometimes it's really, really encouraging. And one of my books is called Become a Preaching Ninja. And I put this out in early 2019, so it's been out for a while. But Sarah wrote in uh, on Amazon. She gave it a five-star review, and she said, Lane gives his insight and equips the, leader, uh, equips the, the reader with tools, tactics, and resources to help you become the best preacher God has called you to be. Lane's books and YouTube channel are a great resource for anyone who wants to become a better communicator and preacher of the word. Thanks, Lane. So I appreciate that so much, and the book is called Become a Preaching Ninja, and it is available on Amazon. You can go check it out. I also want to offer you, if you haven't yet got my 21-day guide to creating killer sermons, definitely get it. You can find it at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days, and it is a 
really helpful three-step, three-week process that will take you through how to create and deliver a life-changing, compelling message. So you definitely want to grab that there. We got so many exciting things coming at Preaching Donkey, so many things in the works. It's just awesome to have you on board. It's awesome to have you listening. Today's interview is so packed with value that I just want to jump right to it. I, I, want, I want to get started because it's lengthy, but it's so packed with amazing insights. And it's one of those episodes, it's one of those interviews where you may have to listen to it slowly and take lots of notes because Johnny brings with him a wealth of knowledge on this topic. And it comes from decades of writing and researching and reading and speaking and talking to people. I mean, one of the things you're going to find about him that's different than most apologists. I can't speak for most apologists because I don't know them personally, but I know him personally. And I know that these insights come, yes, from study and yes, from research and yes, from reading, but they come from, they come mostly from the nitty gritty of actually talking to people, relationships, having conversations. And so as pastors, one of the things that we can get from this and one of the things to think about as you listen is that this is not theory that he's talking about. It's not theory. It's not just kind of, oh, this is, a, this is an interesting way that one could engage a skeptic. This is an interesting idea. This is an interesting argument for the existence of God. I think most of us know those things. What makes it different when Johnny talks about it is it comes from a place of having actually had these conversations with real skeptics in a relationship context. And so you get the color that comes from that. You get the life that comes from that. That it's not just, hey, isn't this a neat academic argument that doesn't really work? Rather, you get, hey, I've had these conversations and I say this and they say this. And in the context of relationship, I have found these things to be the most compelling arguments, the most compelling way to kind of help someone understand what it is to accept the reality that there is a God who loves you and who sent his son to die for you. And that's an amazing thing. I think it makes it different. I think it makes it better. So I am going to go straight to the interview and I'll see you on the other side of my interview with the apologist, Johnny Armstrong. Johnny Armstrong, so awesome to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being here. I love, I'm I'm honored and privileged to be with you, bro. I really am. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, it's, it's so funny that we're such good friends and here we are on, our, on the podcast together. And I think this is really going to serve my listeners well, because once we get inside your head, once we get inside your brain, I think people are going to start to realize just what's going on in there. And it's scary uh, but it's really, really cool. So, oh, it scares me sometimes. I'm still trying to figure out how to get through the day without looking like an idiot half the time. So, I'm <laughs> so welcome, welcome, welcome in there. Come on. Yeah. So, I, I've talked a little bit about before our interview about your book, A Thought Out Faith Christianity as the Best Explanation. And the, the book really is such a massive kind of uh, it, it takes people through a complete holistic journey of how to think about helping someone understand why it's plausible to believe in Christianity yep. uh, from as many angles as I think I've ever seen. It's, it's a, it's, if, if there's going to be a one volume set 
that every pastor needs to have on their shelf. It's a thought out faith. I really believe that. I really appreciate that. And that was my goal, brother. I mean, I'm trying to equip the equippers. Yeah. I mean, for me as someone who has, I have always had a burden for the lost. I have been a follower of Jesus since I was a child. I grew up in a, a Christian home and I cannot recall a time that I didn't believe and, and have just that sense that God was somehow at work in my life. And I can't give that to anybody. And I tell people that all the time. Some people ask, why are you a Christian? And you, well, you grew up in a Christian house and you grew up in, in a Christian place. But at some point I had to own it and I did. And ever since I was a teenager, I had a burden for people around me that I knew because I really did believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people are immortal. That's what I believed completely. And so I wanted to be able to try to tell them what I believed and what I experienced the best I could. And so when you take that over a period of years, I ran a business for about 30 years. So I was just a, a dude in business, working out, playing sports, doing my life, being involved in the church as a deacon and, and as an elder and teaching Sunday school and things like that. But I was always keenly aware of the people around me in my neighborhood, at the gym, uh, in, in my business circles and wanting to share Christ with them. And so I have always had that tremendous burden. And that's what led to this book, the book that I wrote when you talk about that it's kind of a, like a one-stop shop. I'm not trying to compete with Tim Keller or William Lane Craig or Greg Kugel or Frank Turek or all these other superstar heavyweight rock star philosophers and theologians. But what I did and what I have done is I have distilled a lot of what they have said because after running the business, I sold it several years ago and just went headlong into reading, listening, watching, and talking. And so when you get into some of the really deep things by someone like Alvin Plantinga, you're reading his books. He's a philosopher from the University of Notre Dame. He won the Templeton Prize a few years ago. Older fellow. You read his books. You read books like that. You better have yourself a little bottle of Excedrin <laughs> because you're going to get a headache because it's deep and it's hard. And so the issue is, well, do you have to understand all these deep, hard things to embrace Christian belief and, and practice? And well, as I've said, and you, you've heard me say this, Lane, and I didn't make this up, the heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. So the thing that I have experienced here in the Washington, D.C. area, this is not the Bible Belt. This is a very fast-paced, competitive area where there is a tremendous, a lot of pluralism, a lot of different belief systems here, but there is a lot of skepticism here. And so especially in recent decades, in the past 20 years of my life, the people that I run into are, are fairly educated, hard-nosed, competitive people who often are skeptical about anything having to do with the supernatural. And so as I gained more and more footing with some of the, in some of these circles, business-wise and things like that, I had uh, very strong-minded men and women who would say, you know, Johnny, I know you're a Christian and you seem reasonably intelligent, you know, you, you're not a total moron, even though sometimes you act like it. You, uh, how is it that you can believe that 
a virgin teenage girl gave birth to God in a bod. How can you believe that? If you could make that make sense to me, then maybe I'll entertain thoughts about what it is you're, you're asking me to believe and come to church with you. So that's, it's, it's those types of questions, Lane. It's, it's when you think about what Christian belief and practice is, it requires a change of heart. But the mind is a gatekeeper. And if people cannot make sense of what it is that you're trying to tell them, if it's not somehow coherent or rational, it's very unlikely to get to hit bedrock in their heart such that it takes hold of them. So that's, that's been my effort. That's, that's what my effort is with this book and what my effort is every day I go out to the gym and, and, and engage in amazing feats of fitness out there to, to stun onlookers. So they ask me, how do you do that? And I tell them about the Holy Spirit right then and there. Yeah. And, and, you know, just as a, as an aside, uh, Johnny is not only a theologian and an apologist, but a, a, I'm an Avenger. He's an Avenger. Uh, he, he very physically fit, which we, we might dive into that a little bit later for how yeah. Im- important it is for, for pastors to, um, strive for and, and gain physical fitness. But before we dive into that, okay. the thing that I love about your, your journey and your story is that so much of this book is, uh, just it's peppered with actual stories of you with actual people having actual relationships and conversations. So can you talk about some of those that stand out to you and how, you know, so many pastors are, you know, don't have a whole lot of time, but I think to be honest, a lot of times we use that as a crutch because we really don't know how to engage with skeptics. So a lot of us are kind of afraid of it. Uh, uh, because it's we, intimidating, we, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's one thing to stand on a stage and talk to people who aren't going to talk back to you. Yeah. And you don't know whether they agree or disagree. But what you are doing, what led to the writing of this book is very challenging. Man, so, that's good. That's really yeah. good. That's really good. Yeah, it's different. It is, it's a great point, Lane. You know, when you have a mic, you've got the mic and they're just out there hearing what you're having to say. But when you're in a one-on-one conversation with somebody, it's an exchange. I mean, it is a everything's out in the open, you know, and Dr. Rice Brooks, you know, the God is not dead. The guy who, who, who wrote that, that, that story in that movie. I love the way he puts it. He says, here's the basic methodology for, for what I've used telling people about Christ. It's the salt. You know, you think about being salt of the earth. You start a conversation, you ask questions, you listen, you tell the story. And so when we tell the story of Christ, it's a story Every person you talk to has a story. So in my book, the reason I wrote my book, again, I did not write this book as if it was going to be on seminary shelves or on, you know, I'm hoping people buy it and can gain something from it and then use these as tools when they go out and talk to their friends or just help them think through some of these things. That's what my hope is. But it was based upon conversations that I had in that space. I mean, I spend a lot of time over at, at the gym. Uh, I, I love to train. I love the energy. I love the communal aspect of it. it it's a mission field for me. I've done that in jujitsu places where I go and, and do martial arts. I do that at Lifetime Fitness is where I train. And in the, in the book, I mention one particular character and I call him Wolverine. And because I, I did that because uh, just like the, the character in the, the Marvel comics, who has mutant healing powers. This buddy of mine, I called him Wolverine before I wrote the book because he's a super ripped muscular dude who has had a number of injuries and he just kind of overcomes them 
almost like Wolverine with these mutant healing powers. And so a lot of the book was based upon that, the conversations I had with him in real time about his objections to, to beliefs, to my beliefs. I mean, his real objections. The gatekeeper is objecting to things such as, well, Johnny, why does it seem that everything about the Bible and about Jesus that you're telling me, of course, it had to happen before the advent of recording devices. I mean, even a tape recorder or something like that, but no, no smartphones, no GoPros, nothing like that. So, so we can't validate or verify anything, you know, from, from all these, these miraculous events. He would ask me the very same questions that your pastors are getting almost every week of their life. If God is so good and loving and powerful, why is the world the way it is? Why is my mom dying of cancer? And it just so happens that Wolverine had a, a mutual friend of Wolverine and myself whose wife was stricken with breast cancer. And she's also in my book. And so and, and I even speak of the conversation I had with her, conversations and prayer with her. And, and so the apologetic, the evangelistic effort is something that is going to most often be one-on-one -on -one conversations in real life where the rubber meets the road. And what difference does your belief in a triune God, a loving community of three, who can save you from your sins. Of course, it's the get out of hell free card, but how can that really be true if fill in the blank? So that's the kind of stuff that, that triggered the writing of the book and, and that continues to fuel my efforts to share Christ with people in my, in my life. I, yeah, I, I love that. And you know, when you talk about the, the relationship of the heart and the mind, we talk yeah. a lot, talk a lot about that in preaching as well, that, that you've got pathos and you got logos, right? You got pathos, yeah. the heart, the emotions, and you have logos, which is the reasoning. And so what you're saying is when people can't make sense of it, there's no way to capture their whole being, their heart. So my question is, when you think about the, the gatekeeper that is the mind, uh, when you have these conversations with people, do you find that, or maybe it's, I'll say it this way, how, how do you find that sometimes they think that they're opposed to the supernatural, but really what they're opposed to is Christianity in particular? Uh, do you find That's that sometimes they'll, they're open to spirituality, just not the Bible? Yeah, that's a great point because your fact of the matter is atheism is, most people you're going to run into, your pastors are going to run to and preach to are not going to be hardened atheists. As a matter of fact, most people on the planet right now, the vast overwhelming majority are at least spiritual. They believe in some transcendent aspect of the universe. They just don't, maybe they don't believe that it is a personal transcendence that can be known. All right. So there's another thing that I use. I use a little acronym I call HEAL. If somebody is going to get into a relationship with God, there's a broken relationship. The gospel says that man's relationship with God is broken. There needs to be a healing. Reconciliation needs to take place. And so I use the acronym HEAL. They, somebody's got to hear the truth claims of it about Jesus. They've got to be encouraged to examine them. They've got to be then drawn to accept them as truth and then live them out. That, that's what has to take place. And when you have these conversations with people, there's going to be that 
those meant those intellectual cognitive almost objections to very specific things in in the christian method message without a doubt and but here's what we you and me believe here's what i believe fully is that the anatomy of unbelief is not simply a lack of data it's not as if people need more data in order to become a christian like if you just keep throwing at them the manuscript evidence of the new testament there's nothing wrong with talking about those things and i mention it in my book but throwing details and belief propositions at people often can at least chip away at their put up uh, greg kukul who's a great apologist will say just putting a pebble in their shoe nothing wrong with doing that but simply trying to make them tap out intellectually is probably not going to get you to their heart all right because here's what the scriptures say the scriptures say very clearly if you read first corinthians chapter it look Never be, never apologize for using the Bible, by the way, when you're talking to people, never apologize for quoting scripture to someone, never do that. Even, even out there with a hardened atheist, if you give them biblical principles, there's legitimacy there. But first Corinthians chapter two, the apostle Paul talks about that the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because the things of the spirit are, you know, they're spiritually appraised, whatever version you read out of. So one thing that I'm keenly aware of, Lane, and, and, and your pastors probably are as well, and they should be, is that people aren't following Christ just because you can't answer their questions about dinosaurs, about the quantum realm, about human consciousness, and about suffering, things like that. There's something deeper there. There's something that is deeper. However, it makes perfect sense to share the message in a, the manner that the apostle, when you read through the book of Acts, he, you especially go to Acts chapter 17, you're going to see him talk to Jews, you're going to see him talk to Greeks, you're going to see him talk to Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, all in that one, one chapter. And so my approach is to go in and, and make the case for that Christian belief and practice is reasonable, that it's reasonable, that it makes it's logically consistent it is adequate in regard to the world around us that we observe and it relates to your experience that's really what you've got to do in the apologetic effort the evangelistic effort but you being a rock star philosopher theologian what have you is not going to save anyone they're going to be saved by the grace of god some with the holy spirit doing something to open their heart like Lydia the fashionista where the Lord opened her heart to receive the message that was being preached. I'm just going to use every tool I've got, which is help them understand how reasonable it is, but knowing that ultimately without something going on inside of them that I can't toggle, they're not going to get there. You, does that make any sense? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it it is a supernatural process. Um, and it I is, what, man. Christian belief it's mystical. There are mystical properties of this, Lane, and that that's why you know some of the books that I read over and over and over again are Francis Schaeffer's. He is there and he is not silent. And true spirituality. I you know, I don't know if if your if your listeners are at all familiar with Francis Schaeffer, but I heartily recommend that they read or listen. Get them on Audible and listen to these books or read these books they're usually less than 200 pages they pack a punch 
but they remind us that, look, the nature of ultimate reality is this. There are two strands. There are, there's the natural material realm that we operate in, and there is the supernatural realm. We are interdimensional beings, and Christians mustn't lose sight of the fact that, and many Christians do, we get so caught up in the world around us that we forget just how alive the, the spiritual realm is and how involved it is in our lives and in the lives of the people that we're trying to to, to uh, usher into belief. It's the same thing. And you can't lose sight of that. Yeah. You know, I love that. You said something earlier that I want to circle back to when you were t- quoting scripture, you said, let's, let's not be afraid or hesitant or making apologies for quoting scripture when we're engaging with someone who doesn't believe. Do you find that a lot of Christians feel the pressure to prove Christianity extra biblically? Oh, uh, all the time. Why do you think that is? And, and what would you say to the person who feels that way? Um, oh, that's a great question. Great question. Well, a lot of it's like this. And, and I will say this. There are some very um, informed skeptics who will say, you know what? Don't quote your Bible to me because if you're trying to quote something to me as if it's true and that I'm supposed to accept it, that's a form of circular reasoning. It's presuppositional in these things. So some Christian apologists are so caught, and, and even some of the, the big dudes and in, in, in the big men and women out there, they, they, they're so concerned with making sure that they can show you from a uh, uh, more of a natural perspective that Christian belief is reasonable and acceptable and logical and, you know, empirically adequate, that they're not going to use ancient or sacred writings. I see for me, I'm going, I'm, I wonder, well, why are we arguing about that? Use it all. I'm going, I have read William Lane Craig. I have read Plantinga. I have read John Lennox you know, has science buried God. I've read that multiple times. I have read Perry Marshall's book, by the way, which is fascinating, Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadline Between Darwin and Design. I read this kind of stuff all the time so that when my atheist friends come to me and start questioning me about origin of life issues or evolution or, you know, the age of the universe, things like that, that I can at least, like Augustine said in his writings all the way back in in the fourth century, to be able to make a reasonable case for why you believe the world is the way it is, why what you believe the universe is, what you believe human beings are, that's, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, there is never a reason not to say, well, you know what Jesus said? That's the way I say it. I've said it like that almost all my life. You know what Jesus said? Here's what Jesus said. And when, when skeptics hear some things that Jesus said about people, and about what works in life, such as, you know one thing Jesus said? Jesus said, wherever your treasure is there, your heart is going to get dragged into it also. So Jesus was really good about teaching us how best to live and not get our eyes so focused on the Tesla. And by the way, maybe if I mention Elon Musk, and I mentioned him in my, in my book, by the way, maybe he'll give me a discount on one of those cool cars. But yeah. You know, if you get your eyes so wrapped up in certain things, your heart gets dragged into it, and that's going to hurt you as a human being, and and it's going to make things harder for you. So you can quote scripture in context like that, and when people hear it put like that, like wisdom sayings out of the Proverbs, it all of a sudden opens their eyes to, it, it says that in the Bible? 
that's kind of cool. That's just one of the strategies I use as, uh, as, as something that has worked for me and I find to be just a great idea. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think I, I went through a few different uh, iterations where there was a period of time where I was pretty enamored with, uh, you got to prove it extra biblically. You've got to use yeah. the arguments. And if you, if you cite the Bible, then it's, it's circular reasoning. However, I think you're right. I, you know, I, re I remember as a kid driving around with my dad and uh, we passed a church and it had one of those cute, you know, little marquee signs that said CH space space. CH, what's missing? You are, you know. Um, <laughs> and I remember my dad saying, I don't like that. And I said, What do you mean you don't like it? He said, I, and I, I thought he didn't like it just because it's stupid. He said, that, that ought to be scripture on that sign. And, uh, and I said, Really? And he said, Yeah, scripture is powerful. Scripture cuts like bone and marrow, not some stupid, pithy saying. Yeah. Um, and, and so he was pretty convinced that if it's on the sign, it better be scripture. Yeah, and, no, uh, you know, funny. I think there's something to that. There is something to that. I mean, you know, they're, they're, we don't have to apologize for the fact that, look, when I talk to some of my friends and I'll, I'll tell them, I'll make the case that, look, if, if indeed the universe is not a closed system, if the best explanation for the universe at, that we inhabit is that it's not a closed system and that there is an uncaused cause outside of it and that cause is God. If that makes sense and it's logically consistent, I'm not telling you that I can prove that to you, but that's a logically consistent inference. If that is, then as Francis Schaeffer points out in his book, if there is a God who created the universe and that God is an infinite being with intent and in and, and will and mind, and that God wants to communicate with finite beings that he has created, then he must speak. He must reveal things about himself, re reveal things about his nature, about his plan for man. That's a logically consistent inference. And that's what I tell my friends. And when I put it like that, they say, well, that, that, I mean, that is, that is coherent. That's rational. So I say, so if that's the case, then why can't the manuscripts that make up the Bible be something that God moved people to write down and preserve so that I can read things about history and about him, about how he works in history, and, and, and then apply that to how I live my life today. When you put it like that, it doesn't sound so silly or ridiculous. It sounds like a logically consistent, reasonable inference that may or may not be true. So let's talk further about it. That's how I go about it. Uh, I love it. So I, I want to shift gears and I want to dive, if we could, I want to go deep for a little bit, which I know that's, that, that's, that's your world. I'm Let's ready to say, go deep. I, I'm, I'm ready. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So let's say that someone is listening. Okay. And most of my audience is pastors, although there might be other people listening in, but let's say that there's someone listening and they want to know simply, how can I equip one of my church members to know the two, three, or four most compelling arguments for the existence of God, and specifically that, that Jesus is the Son of God, like that, that what Christians believe about God is true. Um, so all the way from how do I even know there's a God to the, his name is Jesus. How would you synthesize that into the, the biggest, most important arguments that they need to know? For me, the three main points that I 
orbit around typically in some way, shape or form when I'm talking with skeptics who, who want who want a framework is this. Okay, first of all, I say this. If you can point out, if your if your members, if your if your family, if your church family can point out that the human experience that everybody has features echoes of transcendence all around us. There is a reason that that almost all human beings on the planet can, if you ask anybody in your life, have you ever experienced intuition? Have you ever experienced one of those situations where you were thinking of somebody you hadn't talked to in a year and next thing you know, you get a call from them? You know, that doesn't prove that God exists. These are just little things, these little echoes of transcendence that we all experience. Again, senses of things. You know, the, you know the, we have a sense that there's something bigger, something transcendent about the universe. That's just part of the human experience. That's wired into the human experience. Very few people you ever talk to will deny that they experience that, that it's just part of life that they experience. And I use that as a tool to point out, it is very difficult to account for that from a purely naturalistic perspective of the uniformity of natural causes in a closed system. That if everything is simply just material, that it's just molecular, it's, and, and that's all it is, that every thought you ever have is nothing more than, than neurology and just a brain state. You know, that, by the way, that's what Sam Harris will say I, in his book, The Moral Landscape, and in his book, uh, Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. He goes to great lengths to talk you out of believing that you are actually behind your eyes looking out at the world, that you are your eyes, you're just a brain, that's all you are. But very, very, very few hum, human beings sense or, or believe that because they sense there's something different about themselves. That's number one. So how to account for the things that we experience that, are, that seem to be echoes of something bigger, something beyond, okay? Doesn't prove anything, but it's, you got a question? I do, because I, I'm, I'm very interested in this. It's very fascinating. Right. How do you take someone through, like you make this assertion, uh, how do you, what examples do you give someone if you're trying to convince them that this is true, that they, that they actually do experience this, um, that, they're, that they're more than just matter? What would you do if I were like, ah, I don't agree? That's great. I, I, I ask them about their own experiences, again, with have you ever had intuition. Have you ever had deja vu? Again, deja vu doesn't prove that, that Yahweh, you know, on my shirt exists. By the way, this is a conversation piece that I use for people. I wear t-shirts like this to get them to ask me questions. And that opens up something. We talk about the promise keeping God. But I ask people, what about your experience? Have you ever felt guilty? Have you ever felt guilty? Which is a rhetorical question because any person that has a conscience is going to say, well, of course I have. And I say, well, well naturally, you have. why do you feel guilty? Why do you have feelings of guilt? Where do they come from? What does that point to? Could it be that you are guilty of something? Can it point to the fact that there is an objective, big moral code that you have violated and you know you have and you sense that and it somehow works its way up into your psyche? 
That's just one little thing, but just those senses where you sense that something's out of joint, that something's not quite right about the world uh, or about my life, or I know I need to improve in these areas. Not because you need to lose weight or because you need to quit fill in the blank or, or start fill in the blank, but there are certain senses that everyone has about their lives and about the world around them that just defies a purely naturalistic explanation or, or is not best accounted for by that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, so then, so that's the first thing. Where do you go from there? You said there are three. I, I go to, I go to the universe as, as this incredibly ordered system. And when we talk about, you know, human beings using, you know, language, we have come up with, you know, laws, uh, laws in the universe. The universe as a thing is replete with regularities. Where do the regularities come from? So I talk about, there is something known as contingency. Okay. It's, it's a philosophical concept. It's a, you said you want to go deep. Yeah. So contingency is one of those things where the universe itself is contingent upon something because even all of the astrophysicists and I've, I've read as much of that scientific literature as I can get my mind around. And, and it's hard for me because I, I, I'm not a trained uh, scientist. I don't have a, any credentials in science, but I read their stuff. I read their, uh, I read their journal articles and things like that. And, and I listen and I watch and I do my best to get my mind around it. The universe itself that has properties came from somewhere. Where did it come from? And, and, and you know, everybody's heard that argument, but it's contingent upon something and you can push it out and you can talk about the multiverse and, and astrophysicists might talk about the landscape, which is, you know, just all of the multiverses. Well, if you keep going up a level, there's going to be a need for an answer for where did these properties originate? Even if you talk about quantum mechanics and how uh, Lawrence Krauss from Arizona State University wrote a book, Something from Nothing, where he posits how, well, because of qu the quantum realm and what we're understanding, things can just pop into existence, you know, in and out of existence. That doesn't answer anything because in order for there to be a popping into do and out of, there has to be properties of something. And so I talk to people about the universe as a, the space-time continuum as a thing that needs to be accounted for. And what, what's cool is a lot of people think, well, you know, you God of the gaps people, you Christians for centuries have been engaging in God of the gaps where you didn't know something. So you throw God in there. Well, we can't explain this. So God did it. Hocus pocus. God spoke this into existence. Well, now where we are in 2020, and, and, and this includes with evolution, by the way, with uh, uh, origin of life studies, we have learned so much and we can see so deep into things. We, we collide particles together at the hadron in these, you know, these super colliders and they break apart and we study them and see, and we're learning more and more and more. And the more we learn about the universe, the more ordered and elegantly structured it is. It is fascinating. And it goes way beyond what most people have the time to look into. I've had some time to look into that. And, and I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And when you look at, at life itself, DNA, DNA is what? It's code. It is code. What is code? Code is 
information. And the only source we know of for information is a mind. So it, it's these types of things. So you look at the universe as an ordered thing with properties and constants that make it possible for planets to have cooled. And, and by the way, Christians don't need to be afraid of science. And, and, and uh, hopefully most of your pastors understand this, that you don't have to be afraid of science. Christians were the ones, because theists, I should say, because they believed that the universe came from an ordered mind, that's why they engaged in investigation. Because if it's an ordered mind that has created the universe, it's investigable by our ordered minds. And so the, the scientific method was developed in large part by Christians investigating how the universe operates and structures and, and how it's structured. And so now when we get into evolutionary theory and, and like the origin of life, there is a dead end. And if you go into the scientific literature just from the past few years, and, and my, my boy Perry Marshall po points this out in his book that I mentioned earlier, Evolution 2.0, that at this point, living, we see such purpose and adaptation in living things that reflects targeting and information. And there is no way that we have found to get information from chemicals. And so there's a $10 million technology prize out there that is, that is in the academy that Perry Marshall and his crew, which includes the board members are atheists, Christians, agnostics. If somebody can prove that you can get information from chemicals, from, from matter, they'll give you $100,000 and then go out and do all the patent work for you. And then you'll get your $10 million once they sell it for $5 billion, because it'll change the entire world in regard to artificial intelligence. So I'm just touching on all these things to show you just how amazing the universe is and to account for it from a purely natural naturalistic materialistic uh, viewpoint is difficult to account for the information component. And it isn't just Christians who are saying that. Thomas Nagel, the NYU professor, a law professor and philosopher, wrote a book, Mind and Cosmos, several years ago, where as an, uh, uh, an, uh, an atheist, an avowed atheist, he said, I don't want it to be true, but the problem I have right now is that you can't explain the natural world apart from information. And the only thing we can think of that, that sources information as a mind. Hmm. So, so that's, that's number two. So it's, it's all about the universe as this thing that is just so complex and elegant that it's difficult to account for everything in it, including the origin of life itself, apart from some type of outside influence. Again, let me talk about my, my buddy Elon Musk. I quote him in my book. He was being interviewed some years, a few years ago, and, and, and he was quoted as saying that the chances that we are not in a sim or that we are in base reality are one in millions. And I said, you were off just by a few zeros there, brother. So, so, so that's number two. Yeah, you know, this whole sim simulation thing, it, to me, it, it feels like a way of describing religion without 
without saying religion, you know, but oh, uh, yeah. th- this whole, we're living in assimilation. It sounds like there's a God and, and we are the world that God has created. And oh, the whole are, matrix experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting that everything has kind of come full circle back to that beginning to be a pretty mainstream idea. Even if people might be joking about it a little bit, there's something to that where they're like, I know there's something beyond this realm. And I know yeah. there's something outside of the natural world that I see. And okay, well, let's call it assimilation is what they go to. But what they're really yeah. describing is the ordered universe that was created by a creator. The ordered universe with human experience in it, where humans long for things such as love and altruism and compassion. And we, we long for justice. You know, we long for, and that's a big word today is justice. Rightly so. Justice is part of the biblical record. That is no new concept for Christians where it shouldn't be because the whole concept of taking care of, I mean, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, our father is this, staying unpolluted from the world and taking care of widows and orphans in their distress. That's just one of the basics. And you read about God's dealing with, uh, dealings with Israel. So many times they were being judged because they were not taking care of the foreigner among them. They were not taking care of the widows and the orphans and things like that. So that should not be a new concept for us. So how to account for the fact that from this ordered universe, living, conscious, self-aware beings have emerged that long for answers to these questions. How do you explain that? What, what is the best explanation? It, it, is that, that you are nothing more than a co-location of atoms and that you are just manifesting survival adaptations with your brain states or that you are a person with a will who desires to answer these things and you want to, to, to understand what is life, what does it mean? You know, what does life mean? You know, because science is a map of reality that tells us what life, what things are in life or, or, or what, the, what is in, how the universe operates and things like that. But it can't tell us what that all means. So we need other maps. That's where the humanities come in and theology or, or religious thought is that things mean something because it was created by a personal being who desires relationship and who actually exists in relationship. That's, that's what Christianity says, that, that God has existed in a loving community of three and has created beings that can dance in that community. That it, it just, it, and it makes sense. It's logically consistent. But, so, no, so the first thing is you, you want to get people to see within themselves there's something going on. There's another dimension Human happening. experience, yeah. The second thing is you want them to see the complexity of the universe and how it really demands something outside of it. Yeah. Um, it's and so many so, different layers because of the information component and because of the longing component of a human being that's in the universe who can think and do art and long to explain things. Okay. So that's two. The third one, again, so these are the three points that, that I would give to your, your pastors to give their congregation. It's human experience. It's the ordered universe that gave rise to conscious life that has a longing for liberty, justice, freedom, mercy, compassion, and altruism. Number three is very simply point to the events from first century Palestine. 
the history of things on planet Earth. Christianity is not just a bunch of belief propositions and moral codes about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. It is that, but it is, and you've heard this before, it's news. It's the news of something that has happened. It is news of a person who walked planet Earth and made spectacular truth claims about himself about his mission, about where he came from, what he came to do, made spectacular predictions such as they're going to kill me, here's how they're going to kill me, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to start my church. Uh, and by the way, Jerusalem's going to be sacked and the temple that you're looking at that you think is so awesome is going to be totally destroyed. That happened in AD 70. So the events in first century Palestine validate everything we've just said because if jesus rose from the dead it validates every single thing he said and if and and when i tell my friends read the gospel of john you know start in the gospel of john you've probably asked the same thing of some of your friends read the gospel of john you're going to read what jesus said you're going to read what his one of his closest friends said about him and then uh, an account of things he did and said including coming back from the dead, having breakfast on the beach, meeting people several different times in several different settings. You can read all the different gospel accounts to get, to get those things. And then he went away. He went back to where he came from. These are events, by the way, all of the things that we've just talked about as far as the, the truth claims of Jesus Christ, the events where he was tortured to death, and then that people claimed they saw him multiple times over a almost 40-day period afterward. These things are investigable. You can investigate the historical record, not only using the Gospels, but using extra-biblical writings. If that, you know, and, and there's good reason to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's the best explanation for why there is a church today. So the events of first century Palestine, brother. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's and it. I, I mean, space-time history of this planet. I think sometimes uh, we we try to we we think that we have to be way more complicated than that. But what I have found is that most people that I interact with on a daily basis who do not believe. Uh, their, their problem is not with the supernatural because as you said, most people are not hardened atheists. Most right. of these people accept the supernatural, but it's difficult for them to embrace the idea that why is Christianity right and all these other religions wrong? How do we know oh, this? Is, and, and so pointing to what happened and the fact that you've got these people whose lives were completely upended because they would not deny the resurrection. Um, th that's an amazing thing. And, it is. and so I, I, I love that distinction because I think the, the thing that we try to go deep on is we, we think about the universe and we'll say, okay, I got to learn the cosmological argument and the ontological the argument. argument. Uh, yeah. The ontological, good luck with that one, by the way, <laughs> yeah, I'm still yeah, trying to figure that one yeah. out. You know? And you know what? I will say those, those arguments are I think everybody should know, especially if you're in ministry, you should have a, a cursory or, or even a, a more than cursory. Oh, I agree. Of those. I agree. 
There's and nothing I, wrong with having those tools, man. There was a guy named Anthony Flew who was one of the foremost atheist philosophers in the Western world from, you know, from the 50s all the way up through like, like the late 90s, early 2000 before he passed away. And, and before he passed away, he had moved from unbelief to not, not necessarily Christianity. I, 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 I'm not going to say that he became a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. Matter of fact, I don't think he did. You know, I don't know. But, but I do know that he went from atheism to theism. And he wrote a whole book about it. And one of the things he said that, that gave him uh, pause was revisiting those basic arguments, the cosmological, the teleological, you know, and, and, and the ontological. The, that, that's a tough one. You know, if God is the, the most awesome being that exists, then it proves that he exists. So, I mean, but, <laughs> but he used those, those tools. So you look at, you know, the, the five proofs that, that uh, Aquinas will mention. There's nothing wrong with going through those and just, like you said, having a cursory knowledge of what they say, because the fact of the matter is cause and effect, you know, the cosmological, no, no effect can be greater than its cause, right? These things make sense. And when you put them all together, you can use them as, as a tool to deal with a gatekeeper. Again, getting to the bedrock of the heart is something the Holy Spirit has to do. All of these wonderful arguments we're talking about are awesome, but apart from the Holy Spirit doing a work to open some valves in there, it's not, it's not getting to bedrock. But, but that said, I'm just told to go out there and sanctify Christ as Lord my heart, always being ready to make a defense for the hope. And one of the ways I make a defense is to go on the offense. The best defense is a good offense, is to, is to make a case, do the best I can. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And I'm doing the best I can using the tools that I have in, in the context that I live in, which is a skeptical environment where people say, you know, it, it's, I'm just not feeling it, you know, and I'm just, I've never felt as if God was in my life or talking to me. And why should I believe in angels and demons? So do you believe that the devil exists and he's doing bad things? In fact, I do. I believe he's a person. I believe he's a real being with intent that is mucking with the human race this very moment. And, and uh, he, I, he might even be the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And, and so, <laughs> no, no, okay. Uh, as, as an old Washington football team fan, I had to say something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah no, the, the football team in Washington has just had a, a great history for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the, the thing I love about this, Johnny, is I, I had a roommate uh, early in, in my early 20s, mid-20s, and he was a pretty adamant atheist through most of high school. And he actually knew all the arguments and, and said that he learned those arguments so that he could ridicule and make fun of and reject those arguments from his friends that would argue, his Christian friends that would argue with him. But he said, when uh, his friends invited him to a Bible study and tricked him and told him they were just going to go hang out with girls, it ended up being a Bible study. Um, but they basically just kind of roped him in and said, you're coming and you're going to sit here. And um, he realized that even when he doubted, even when he asked questions, even when he objected, even when he said, I think you guys are crazy, and he expected this group of Christians to no longer be friends with him, they still accepted him into the group. They still loved him. And he told me, he's a Christian now. He has been. He was, he was when I knew him. And he said, 
what got me was not knowing the arguments. I knew the arguments well enough to argue against them. It was the love. Mm. And what I love about your book and your experience and journey is you know all the arguments. You could argue someone into the ground, but you have enough wisdom to know that it's the relationship and it's the love. So you've got story after story after story of these people who at the end of the day are probably impressed with what you know but they are overwhelmed with how much you love them. I mean, true. Oh, that's great. That's a great point. Yeah, and, and you do this better than anybody else I've known. So I, I just want to say that, one, to encourage you. Thank you. Because I think you've got, you've got a really unique gifting and, and set of skills, and God has equipped you with this ability to impact people, but also mm-hmm. to encourage everyone listening that to hear someone like you talk, some people might think, well, gosh, like, you know, for me, I've been to seminary, I have a master's degree, all this stuff. And, and yet all of this stuff really can confuse me if I'm not careful, yeah. but yeah. I can love my neighbor and, and I, you know, and I can point people to Jesus. That's and, it. and those are the things that are timeless and eternal that really never fail. And so I that's think, cool. I think your book just shows that and that's why I think it's I think it's the one volume every, everyone needs because it has the arguments, but it's got the personhood as well. It's got the relationship as well, which is great. So, kudos to you, man. Well, I appreciate that, man. That I mean, that what a blessing you have blessed me, and I really I received that. And any adequacy that you see in me is from the Lord. Okay, that, that's that's you know the Lord has been so merciful to me, and and I am so flawed. And, and it's one of the things I love about when you started preaching donkey, you know, if God can talk to a donkey, I just, I feel like, I feel like that donkey, bro. And, and the, but the point you, you bring out that is so important, the most effective apologetic has nothing to do with worldview analysis and metaphysics and getting into ethics. It has to do with what, with, are you living in relating to people in the manner of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a, just merely a set of belief propositions to hold on to and think about. It is a way to live and the way that is lived out as a human being is next to other human beings. And so if my message is, if the one thing that I try to tell people is that um, I'm flawed, you're flawed, you're loved. And I'm going to act like that. And then if I can say anything that helps them think through the issues and move them closer to the gospel, bonus. But really what we're supposed to do is exactly what you've described, which is love the living daylight out of people, no matter what their political views are, no matter what their worldviews are, love them, and then let God get hold of them because you can't take hold, only God can. And he uses your um, fruit bearing to do that. That's awesome. Can, uh, can, before, we, before we go, can you, I, you, you put together something for my audience. I want you to talk about what they're going to get in the Apologetics Jumpstart. Yeah, if you go to the Apologetics Jumpstart, it, it's going to be a flyover of three keys and three points. And I'm going to just give you basically, look, again, it's not, this is something that hopefully will whet your appetite to go Maybe read my book or, or, or read a, a book or two out there on, on some different subjects. But it is going to give you some very simple things that you can think about, put in front of your congregations to get them to realize. It, it's, it's my effort to kind of 
uh, demystify the apologetic enterprise. That's really what it is. It's my effort to kind of demystify it and, and uh, make it less intimidating. I'm going to give you a few things that you can think about, train yourself in regard to, and then actually go out and use, and then you can fill in the blanks with further reading, reading and further study. So if you go to my website, it's a free download. It's, it's several pages long that you can use as a little manual. And then you can perhaps get a book or go to my podcast, because I have a podcast called The Animated Podcast, where I, I, I engage in all kinds of things. I talk about fitness, I talk about diet, I talk about sociopolitics, geopolitical things, spiritual things, but all of it is from the standpoint that the Christian life is integrated living. Every aspect of your life falls through the lens of Jesus as the son of God. So yeah. So uh, yeah. Everybody needs to go to, to and, and subscribe to your podcast animated. It's great. Um, the next time you come on the show next year, when, when it schedule works out for you, we're going to talk about physical fitness. So yeah. we're going to, we're going to dive into that on the next time I have you on. But on the animated podcast, you're going to get, uh, de- you're going to delve into worldview issues. You're going to delve into lifestyle issues. You're going to, you're going to talk about economic systems. <laughs> you're going to, yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's really great. I enjoy every time a new episode comes out. So definitely check that out. It's on all the major players. The website is thoughtoutfaith.com. That's where you can find Apologetics Jumpstart. Johnny Armstrong, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for having me, Lane. You you're on one of my heroes. And I mean that. So peace and love to you. Same to you, my friend. Well, as you can see, I wasn't kidding. That thing was packed with amazing insights. And it's one that I'm going to have to go back and listen to over and over. I would encourage you to read the book, A Thought Out Faith, which you can find on Amazon. That's going to really, really help you. It kind of takes a lot of what he's talking about in this interview and puts it on paper so that you can have it for yourself. I think it's really encouraging to think about. If I kind of reflect back on that interview, I think it's really encouraging to think that most people in our lives are actually open, more open than we think. Most people who may consider themselves to be irreligious or skeptical um, are perfectly comfortable calling themselves spiritual. And I think that's great in the sense that it gives an opening because if someone is spiritual, then they've already accepted the idea that there's something beyond this life. There's something beyond the material world. And so if somebody is spiritual, then it's, it's, they're one step closer and one step more open to accepting the reality that spirituality has a name, <laughs> that, that Jesus, that God defined himself, that he revealed himself in scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's an encouraging thing. And I think that as we equip the people in our churches, as we equip the people in our churches to be ready to give an answer for the hope that they have, like Peter says, we want to encourage the people in our churches to keep at the forefront of their mind relationships. Because all of these arguments and all of these ideas really fall flat out of the context of care and love and relationship. And that's what I gleaned from that interview. I would love to hear what you got out of that. Please leave a comment below if you're watching on 
YouTube, if you're listening on iTunes or some other podcast player, be sure to email me, lane at preachingdonkey.com. I'd love to hear from you and how this episode, this interview impacted you today. Definitely grab the book, A Thought Out Faith, and I will see you in episode six, which is going to feature Bill Isaacs, an incredible pastor who is going to share insights and wisdom from four decades of pastoring and preaching and teaching and speaking. It's going to be an amazing episode. Really had a great time sitting down with Bill Isaacs. So definitely tune in for that episode six. That's next Thursday. Until then, remember that if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.